Amen. I was uh, thinking about today's topic, and, and by way of introduction, I thought I'd just uh, ask a pop quiz of what makes us, what makes us British. Do you remember this, this debate that keeps coming up from time to time? Politicians and uh, all sorts of people, they have this great debate. What makes us British? What are the characteristics, the trait of uh, belonging to this British Isles, to this kingdom that we're part of? Shout them out. Village cricket. Village cricket. Not so good in the cities, but yeah, that, you know, for those in the villages, yeah, village cricket, good stuff. Stiff upper lip. Stiff upper lip. Yeah. That was a Victorian invention, apparently, but uh, we, we live with that now. Anyone else? Fish and chips. Sunday roasts. Queuing. Queuing. I, I, uh, <laughs> it's very true from someone who's from, uh, from Africa. Here are some things, according to the History Channel, and I'm very sorry for this light that is um, kind of really obscuring. These are the things that apparently make us British. Uh, binge drinking is up there. Um, living on an island, political moderation, fish and chips, queuing, there we go, uh, inventing things, tea, and uh, apparently being unartistic. That's the one that's obscured. We are all kind of, uh, Nikki's not agreeing with that, has she, with her creative craft fair? You know, these are things that more or less define something about British, and not entirety. We've got a guest from New Zealand, maybe he could add to, uh, to some of those things as you visitors. I won't put you on the spot. Yeah, tea. Fish and chips, there we go. They're all there. Sorry? Sorry, I don't understand you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You're very welcome here, uh, as we all are. <laughs> this morning, I want to... Uh, Sorry, Ewan. Uh, we, cheap jokes. We are in our vision series, and part of our vision series is to build God's kingdom. It's something that we're committed to. And Philip and I have been preaching over the last few weeks about what it means, what it looks like to build God's kingdom. So uh, we've, we've looked at some parables. We've looked at what the kingdom is. But I want us this morning to think of one of those essential uh, characteristics of the kingdom that you can't get away from. And that's grace, grace and the kingdom. If we are to define ourselves of, you know, top 10 things of what it looks like to be a gospel people, people as part of the kingdom that God is building, grace must feature because it does so much in the plans and purposes of God, but also it must be part of our understanding and our nature and our character. There's a book, a great book, um, if you're interested in pursuing this further, reading Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. You might have heard it, um, but it's a really good book about this. Someone's uh, phrased it like that, but that's not saying that I'm just copying his uh, book, by the way, today. That, please don't mishear that. I'm just saying it's for further reading. Someone said this, Minister, a servant of God, prostitute came to me in wretched straits. She was homeless and sick and unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she'd been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men who were interested in underage sex. She made more by selling her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a whole night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. 
I could hardly bear hearing the sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to the woman. At last, I asked if she'd ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. What struck me about my friend's story is that a woman much like this prostitute fled towards Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, this down and out, those in the scriptural stories who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth, no longer feel welcome among his followers. What's happened? The headlines this week, and I won't go into the issues, but about women bishops and the response from those who perhaps don't understand the issues and don't understand the church, but described as those who are always against. Grace. Grace. It's a word that gets used much. Grace. Here are some ways that... uh, It gets used. For what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Grace. We are gratified by good news. We congratulate when someone is successful. We're gracious in hosting friends. We're grateful for someone's kindness. All words that find their origin in grace. When a person's Service at a restaurant is good. We leave them a tip or a gratuity. A composer of music adds grace notes to a score. They're not essential, but when they're in there, they add something amazing, something extra to the piece of music. They're gratuitous. They're just full of abundance. And when they're not there, their presence is missed. British people apparently address royalty as your grace. Not met them personally, so I uh, can't say. Parliament can declare an act of grace to pardon a criminal if you're having struggle paying your bills. Credit cards or rental agencies or mortgage companies may extend undeserved grace periods to you. Newspapers even recently speak of a falling from grace. Or someone said, you're a disgrace to someone who has no saving grace about them. Or even this one at the bottom, persona non grata. If you're uh, in a country and you get up to mischief, they can deport you and stamp your passport. Persona non grata, person without grace. It's so much part of our culture. And it all stems from God who gives grace. That amazing hymn, timeless, four or five hundred years old, amazing grace, that saved a wretch like me. It's a kingdom word. Have a look at this uh, video clip. You may have seen it before, but it speaks of the power of God and the gracious work of God.
This is God's kingdom. Doesn't it move your heart? Isn't that amazing? This is the kingdom of God. This is what we're called to be part of. This is what God has enabled for us, for this world. It says believe on Jess's top, I think, doesn't it? This is the Jesus we believe in, who is the grace of God, who extends grace to our world. If any of those kind of scenarios that were kind of visualized kind of resonate for you and you find yourself in a place of ungrace or of feeling trapped or bound or fearful or doubtful or all those circumstances, we want to pray with you this morning, not to kind of see you and judge you, but to say God in his grace does change these circumstances and lift us up. Grace. We can pray with you and for you at the end. Now, uh, I've got lots of things to say. Uh, you know that, don't you, about me? And uh, I'll have to rattle through this. If you'd like this PowerPoint, I can email it to you because there's lots of things. I doubt whether I'm going to get through much of it. But the Old Testament contains grace as much as new. You know, you come and read the New Testament, grace, 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 always there. And sometimes people say, well, is the Old Testament just about law? No, grace is as much part of the old as new. God is the same of both Testaments, of old and new. He's revealing himself through the old and finding fulfillment. But words that are in Hebrew that carry this sense of grace are words that get translated to be gracious or to show favor or to be uh, loving, loving kindness, the goodness of God. The Lord's grace, you see, is not rooted in nor dependent on people's behavior, belief, or acts and responses. That's really important to grasp that God's grace comes to us despite of, not because of. His grace is for us in the goodness and the giving and the nature and the character of God. His grace comes. We don't earn it. We don't kind of call upon him and summon it or only for the special and the privileged few. This is who God is, extending grace and goodness all the way through the Old Testament which is fantastic. Have a look. Uh, it's really not helpful having this sign here, is it, this uh, thing? But it's uh, Exodus 34, 6 to 7. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, this is the wonderful description of who God is, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, there's the word, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their generation, and children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. And I've given you a whole list, you can be scribbling furiously, of times that this name, this holy name, this holy description of the nature and character of God comes up again and again and again and again, all the way through the Old Testament. This is who God is. The Lord, compassionate and gracious. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. So in this question, is it law or grace? It's definitely grace. Notice, in Exodus 19, after he's rescued his people, they were trapped in Egypt. They were trapped in bondage and oppression. And they were being persecuted and held, bound and, and suffering. God says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Or Exodus 
20, verses 1 to 2, just that the Ten Commandments are about to be given, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, the power, the work of God comes first, and after that comes people's response to his favor and goodness and his intervention. Do you get that? The grace and the power of God, his action and saving work, his for us comes first, and it elicits our response. Obedience to the covenant law comes after God's saving grace, always the way. And so in uh, in the New Testament, you get Greek, and uh, these are the words that kind of carry. There's there's many, many references, uh, dozens and dozens, to Charis, Philemon Hermes' daughter, Charis, and the great name of grace. Uh, Charisma, charismata, always carry that word. Do you know, even in English, we carry the word charity straight from the word grace. But think of how far charity has slipped from a true understanding of, of just goodness and kindness and compassion being exhibited to those who don't deserve it. Think of our political institutions at the moment from left and right saying to countries like India, I'm not going to get into the politics of this, but saying, well, you're wealthy enough and and you don't deserve charity anymore. Well, I can understand they're a nuclear power and they've got a space program, but I work with this little charity that's involved in India and I know there are more people below the poverty line in India than the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. Now, clearly... What does grace do? The political challenge in our country says, well, grace starts at home. Uh, Charity starts at home, doesn't it? Why are we giving it across the world when we've got people here suffering? Well, yeah, of course. But actually, grace doesn't get limited. Grace doesn't get focused on the small but on the many. Grace is the goodness of God. Or, I don't want your charity. I don't want your grace. I don't want your compassion. I don't want your loving kindness. How foolish that is. You see, grace speaks of the holy, generous act of God, which reflects the holy, generous nature of God. If you have a mindset of God as a tyrant or as a disapproving kind of uh, uh, distant father or a God who's kind of looking out to smite you down for when you put one step wrong, you have the wrong view of God. You've made an idol. You've made your own projection because God reveals himself in Scripture as the one who is always full of grace. Hallelujah. Uh, just for the, uh, the word geeks like me, uh, you can't really read it, but on this lovely pretty graph, it's really hard over here, you can't see the screen. This is just a graph saying the number of times in each of the New Testament books the word grace appears. It's pretty much all of them. All of them. It's such a key feature in the Bible. So many, many features. I love this phrase about grace. Someone describes it, helpfully you can't read. A full tide which flowed into their little lives from the great ocean. A full tide which flowed into their little lives from a great ocean. I don't know if you saw the news reports a couple of weeks ago of Venice. Do you see Venice underwater? Just 
uh, it's a troublesome subject today, uh, given that some places are flooded. But in Venice, the piazzas were completely covered, and you just saw the little chairs in the squares completely covered of water because a high tide and a low pressure caused this, caused this water to flow into that place. Now, grace doesn't cause devastation. But in Venice, it was completely submerged, and yet there was still more of the ocean. This is the grace of God. Now, as believers, when we think, oh, you know, is there enough of God's grace? Yes, there is. God has more than enough grace to flow into our little lives. That's not derogatory, but saying there's more, always more, always more of the goodness and grace of God. We never run out of it. We never run it dry. Hooray. Praise the Lord. Have you noticed If you were to look at the opening greetings and the signing off of Paul, grace. Every book that he writes, every letter, and he's not just kind of uh, one of those nice things. Dear dear Ephesians, let me just highlight it to you. Uh, Just um, if you have your Bibles, you can kind of turn quickly with me. In Romans, uh, verse 7, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The uh, end of the book, chapter 16, he uh, says, To him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings of the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God uh, be glory through Jesus Christ. Christ, and he fills his letter with grace and peace. Uh, Into uh, Corinthians, verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and ends his letter. And may uh, the great, verse 23, 16, 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And ends, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, grace and peace. It's like bookends, beginning and ending, and actually resonating all the way through. It's not just a little catchphrase like a, a Bruce Forsyth of grace, you know, grace and peace, and everyone shouts, grace and peace. No, it's a theological understanding in all that he writes, right from beginning to end, in his establishment, is working towards God's kingdom, grace and peace, the peace of God, the wholeness of God, and the grace of God to you and for you and amongst you and with you always and in the very end God's grace for us it's a good good thing I'm going to rattle through these but it's a word that's so full so full of meaning when you come up in Scripture of grace, it kind of is one of those youths because it's got so many meanings, it's such a big word that it gets referred to in a number of contexts. The various meanings and uses. The grace of God in the actual historical event of Jesus Christ, and some verses there, 
but I pick out 2 Corinthians. In other words, when we think of grace, you've got to think of a big word, a full word, replete with meaning. And part of Paul's use says, when he refers to the grace of God, it's actually about the grace of God in the actual historical event of Jesus, that which has happened, historically verifiable, in Jesus crucified, in Jesus risen. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Or Ephesians, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, Jesus. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In other words, God's grace is exhibited in the coming of Jesus. It's a Christmas time story. It's a story of incarnation. It's a story of God's involvement. It's a story that God has not abandoned us. But he says, I will come amongst you and be your rescuer and deliverer and savior. The grace of God, the power of God coming amongst us. His holy, generous, good action in sending his son. That has happened. God's grace is revealed in Jesus. But also, it's at work in the present. It's not just confined to history. That each one of us who have become believers could say, we've experienced the grace of God. Romans 3, 24, in this conversion moment, and we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We're saved through grace, not by works so that no one can boast. That Christ is the grace of God. And God extends through Christ grace to us such that in that moment when we hear him saying, come to me, come and leave your desperate life and come and live live a full life. That's the grace of God. All of us receive grace as we turn to him and embrace him and say, Jesus, I confess you as my savior and my Lord's. It's an act of grace from God. Lots of verses. Also in the present. And it's experienced and it's transforming. That as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, not only is it rooted in the past when we became Christians, based on the sacrifice and the death and resurrection of Jesus, but grace now is an ongoing reality for you and me. It's experienced and it's transforming. Romans 5, 2 uh, says this. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That we are sustained even in our living by the grace of God. In the present, it's a continuing experience of our relationship with God. Not by following law, but living in the spirit and in grace. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, if you try to live through law and regulation in your Christian life, you fall away from grace. We live in Christ through his spirit, which is an act of grace. Do you follow me? I'm trying to define to you this big word. I'm having to do it quite quickly. So email me and you can ask for this PowerPoint and Reflect on it as you will. 
Grace in the present. Grace that enables us to rise above the power of sin and the law. If you're finding it a struggle, ask for more of God's grace. Romans 5, 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through our Lord Christ Jesus. 6, 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Grace is so important. He enables us in this present living out of grace to make uh, for a sincere and godly singleness of mind. In other words, he calls us to follow him, to live for him. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says this. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you, relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to the worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Everything in our living, everything in our church life, everything of life is rooted and founded and finds fulfillment in the grace of God. Are you wanting to live a holy life? Don't just make rules. Ask for his grace to let you live Christ-like ways in every decision, at home and at school and at work and in leisure time. Even, says Paul, grace is sufficient. You know, the thorn in the flesh, no one really knows what that is. It could be something that he's struggling with in his own constitution and maybe a a kind of chronic disease, we don't know. It could be that it's to do with persecution. It could be some people who are always opposing him. He asks three times of God, take it away, deliver me from it. And yet, the answer comes back. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, says Paul, all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Can you see how important grace is? Grace takes different forms. Grace calls Paul to be an apostle. Grace calls Timothy to be a church leader. Grace calls different people to different ministries and different roles in the body of Christ. Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man or a woman's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. That we live through the grace of Jesus who died, the grace that called us to salvation, and now it's the heartbeat of living in the kingdom, the grace of God. And then we don't even have time to do about the grace gifts. Not only in the grace of gifts, the grace that God gives us, but remember we're all given spiritual gifts. You've heard of those? In Greek, the charismata, the grace gifts, the givings of grace to us. Why are they given? Well, they they have a range of meanings. They're gifts. Uh, They're particular manifestations of the grace of God, this power of God through his spirit at work in the context of the community of faith, spiritual gifts that are gifts of the Spirit to the body of Christ. Why? Well, they glorify Jesus and demonstrate Easter victory. Why does God give his gifts? Because they point to Jesus, their signs. 
Just on Friday, I love this story. I've not really seen much of, I've been sort of keeping praying for people, keeping, you know, listening to God, and it's been a little bit of a dry period. And on Friday night at Cell, we got with the younger guys, and we were talking about, does God heal today? And there's a young lad who's just kind of not a Christian yet, and all sorts of difficult background. And we said to him, Callum and I, is there anything wrong with you? And he said, yeah, my knee hurts. I do jerking dancing. I didn't know what jerking dancing was. Uh, it's a type of dance style, apparently. It's modern and urban. Uh, and I looked blank about that. Anyway, so I said, what's the matter? He said, well, he kind of did this thing where he put his leg behind, then dropped onto his knee. It was kind of a dance move. And he didn't did it wrong, and he damaged his knee, and it was really, really sore. Wisdom would have said, don't do it again, you silly fool. But uh, it's a, da- a daft thing. But grace was uh, kind of in my mind at that moment. And so we said, well, we've got does God heal today? So we, kind of I just knelt with him. I put my hand on his, on his knee thinking, oh, here we go. You know, God calls me to pray for those who are sick. And uh, just did that. Didn't feel anything, sense anything. Prayed for two, three minutes. Callum prayed. Said to him at the end, how does it feel? And he, op- he looked at he was, had his eyes open all the way through praying. And he kind of said, feels a bit different. So I said, well, how hurty was it? He said, technical word, how hurty? Uh, he said, seven, 70% pain. I said, what is it now? He said, 30%. I said, that's great. Jesus really loves you. It's a sign that he wants you to be his follower. And he looked kind of wide-eyed at me like... I got a text from someone. I actually got a Facebook message yesterday. So he woke up yesterday morning. The pain is completely gone. It's a sign of the risen Jesus. Just one of the gifts, but point to Jesus. But it also helps us to grow in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, it helps us to grow the grace gifts for one another and as a sign to the world. Now I want to just get on to, um, just so what does it mean? I love this. Grace gives the believer's life both its source, its power, and its direction. You know, a great prayer in the morning, God, let me be full of your grace today. And a great prayer in the evening, let me be full of your grace as I sleep. The bookends of life. Our response to God's goodness and his grace. First of all, it's praise. You know, one of the things we struggle with in in British church life, you know, we, we said step up a lift. We do have a trouble in praising we get all anxious about our hands. What do we do with them? I love traveling to different parts of God's church. And there's no anxiety. Praise him. Clapping, dancing, celebrating. Praise the riches of his grace. That's a verse from Ephesians. Uh, the whole chapter, a whole kind of opening bit uh, of Paul in that wonderful, non-grammatical, whole sentence. Ephesians 1, 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And ends with praise because of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Brothers and sisters, if we say we're full of God and seeking his kingdom, it will be, we will be characterized by grace and it will be natural to praise. Maybe pray in the morning, help me to praise you and live my life as a worshiper. Not to be a downcast sourpuss, but a smiler, because I know the joy of the Lord. 
and I will praise him. Colossians 3, 16 17. Let the word of God, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish to one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns, uh, spiritual songs with gratitude, this grace word in your hearts to God. And whenever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. I love this. Grace means, Yancey says, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Can you praise him for that? Can you give thanks with gratitude for that? Or have you gone kind of, yeah, yeah, that was yesterday. That was earlier on in my Christian journey. I've moved on. You've moved away if that's your mindset. Uh, uh, I love this, St. Teresa of Avila says, from silly devotions and sour-faced saints, spare us, O Lord. Nothing worse than a sour-faced saint. And silly devotions. Oops, let me come back to that. Paul wrote to the legalists of his day, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I used to have church members in my old church, and once I made the dreadful mistake of telling them, because church was at 10.45, I'd done some stuff in the morning, I'd done my washing, and I hung it out. The intake of horror that I had put my done washing on Sunday, and it was an audible, <gasps> I was like, what have I done? It's because... They grew up in an age where it said, you know, the Sabbath, the Lord's day is holy, you must keep it. And there were there people there that said no to cinema, no to drinking, no to smoking. That their lives kind of started from a right place. We want to do these things so we can live for God because we see how the world is failing. But it had translated so easily from a means of expressing love and thankfulness to God and being, living his way to becoming a set of rules and regulations that became do and don't. They move from grace to law. So easy. And that's where our church has got so much in trouble. Think about the, the Western church, in the, uh, the American church in the recent elections. When they talked to the evangelical church, they were talking about those who were anti-gay, anti-gay and anti-abortion against two issues. No mention of evangelical Christians saying we're the grace people who are for fullness of life and who are for the fullness and the coming of the kingdom and justice and righteousness and peace and fullness for the poor and the afflicted. No mention of that because the church so easily loses grace and lives in legalism. Spare us from silly devotions, sour-faced saints. Why do you have your personal devotion on a Sunday or on a daily basis? Do you? Even by raising that, you're thinking, oh gosh, I'm guilty now. See how easily a good practice caused and encouraged by us to say, draw close to God, live in him, learn in him, develop in him, moves to a kind of, oh, I've not done it, I'm going to be guilty now. I'm going to, oh, better do it, better do it. Moves from grace to legalism. Our response to his grace, holiness and discipleship. Believers experience this grace in the ongoing work of becoming like Jesus. 
What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, by no means. That as disciples, we're called to grow in him and become more and more like Christ. Titus 2, 11 to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's Jesus. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're nearly there. When I say the words evangelical Christian, what comes to mind? In reply, mostly I hear political descriptions of strident pro-life activists or gay rights opponents or proposals for censoring the internet. I hear references to the moral majority or an organization disbanded years ago. Not once, not once, have I heard a description of redolent or abundant grace. Apparently that's not the aroma Christians give off in the world today. How far we've slipped. That Jesus gave off the aroma of grace. How much we need the grace of God for us and for our world. Gordon MacDonald says this, the church can do almost anything as well or as better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Church's single most important contribution. Where else can the world go to find grace? I love this clip. If we could have the sound. Thanks, Matt. This is just an example of, of a man who lived with grace in his life. This chap you're about to hear, that chap there, uh, was part of the Ku Klux Klan. And he set about to persecute a black pastor in America. And the Christian man, the disciple of Jesus, lived with grace and wisdom. It's just a great example of a man seasoned with grace. In 79, I think you would have been about 22, you went to a radio debate with the Reverend Wade Watts, Reverend Wade Watts. who uh, was the state leader of the National Association for the Advancement of Colour People, who'd worked with Martin Luther King. Yes. And when you got to this debate, he held out his hand for you to yes. shake. Yes, he did. Did you hesitate? I, I, he caught me off guard. See, I'm expecting this black militant to come in with a great big afro this big and an African dashiki on with bones hanging around it and a button on that says, I hate honkies and death to crackers, you know, all that stuff. And I figured he'd have on you a black... You seriously thought Yeah, that? that's what I thought. And I thought he'd come in there carrying a boom box blaring out the theme from Shaft. I figured he'd, he'd, uh, he'd flash the switchblade at me and go, black is beautiful, honky. I'm going to kill all you white devils, you know. That's what I thought I was going to see. And so when the door opened up and in came Reverend Wade Watts and he's wearing a suit and a tie, and he's carrying a Bible, and he walks up and he puts his hand out to me. He goes, hello there, Mr. Clare. I'm Reverend Wade Watts. I just want to tell you, I love you, and Jesus loves you. And, I mean, I'm shocked, you know. And then he puts his hand out, and I'm shaking his hand without thinking, because this wasn't what I was expecting. Then I realized I just broke a clan rule, and I jerked my hand back, you know. And I started looking at my hand, which he saw that, and that met, was met as an insult. The clan rule book says, the physical touch of a non-white is pollution. And I thought, I just shook hands with a black person, and he sees me looking at my hand. He goes, don't worry, Johnny, it don't come off. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I start calling him names. I go, you no good, sorry, bleep, 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 you mother this, you this, you that. And he looked at me, he goes, God bless you, Johnny. He says, I, I, you can't do enough to me to make me hate you. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to pray for you whether you like it or not. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I had never had that happen to me before. 
A few years later, you burnt down his church, didn't you? Set fire to his church. See, he had, what happened was we started off going by his house, calling names. We got no response. Threw trash all over his lawn. Got no response. Uh, we uh, put, showed up with our sheets and hoods and stood out there in his yard. Said, get on out here, boy. We got something for you. And he comes outside and he goes, boys, Halloween's four more months away. I got no trick-or-treat in here for you. Come back in October. And he goes back in the house. That's a bright man. Yeah. And, and I mean, I didn't know how to deal with this. And so the clan goes, you got any more bright ideas? I said, I don't know. I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. So we burned a cross across the street from his house. He came outside and asked us if we needed hot dogs and marshmallows for our barbecue, you know. So finally, I said, I'm tired of messing with him. And we set fire to his church. And they put the fire out before the church was destroyed. And I remember I called him up and disguised my voice. And I said, hey, boy, you better be afraid. We're coming to get you, boy. You don't know who we are, but we know who you are. And he goes, hello, Johnny. And all that stuff. He goes, a man like you takes the time to call me. I'm so honored. And all that stuff. He goes, let me do something to you. He goes, dear Lord, please forgive Johnny for being so stupid. He doesn't mean to be so honored. He's a good boy trying to get out somewhere. In there. And I hung up the phone on him. I said, how dare him. And so the funniest thing that happened with him, though, is uh, I didn't know what to do. And I was at my ropes in. And one day we, we was watching him. And he went into a restaurant. So we got a bunch of us together. And about 30 of us went in there and surrounded him. And he had this chicken there on the table at the restaurant. And I walked up and I said, hey, boy, this restaurant's for white people only. We don't want you here. I said, so I'm going to make you a promise. I said, I promise you we're going to do the same thing to you that you do to that chicken. So you think real hard before you touch that chicken. So he looked at me and looked at the clan. Then he picked up the chicken and he kissed it. And, and when he kissed the chicken, the whole restaurant acted just like y'all did. They all start laughing, you know, and everything. And, and I looked up and even the clan was laughing. <laughs> you got to admit, that was funny. I said, every one of you outside, I'm outside and they're doubled over laughing. I'm going, you guys are going to get suspended and lose your robe for two weeks. I said, I'm getting tired of this. And I'm hollering at them and yelling. They're laughing. I heard a horn honk and Reverend Watson driving off going, bye, Johnny. You know, and stuff. And, and that's how he chose. That's how one old black, we never bothered him again. And that's how one old black man defeated the entire Ku Klux Klan. Because he used this instead of brawn. And he used this too, a very brave yeah. Do you know that's grace lived out in the face of hostility, in the face of wretchedness. And the guy they're being interviewed had become a Christian because of that example of a man living, showing, making a difference. Uh, Yancey says this in the end of his book, when I'm tempted to recoil in horror from sinners, from different people, I remember what it must have been like for Jesus to live on earth, perfect, sinless. Jesus had every right to be repulsed by the behavior of those around him, yet he, retreat, he treated notorious sinners with mercy and not judgment. One who has been touched by grace will no longer look on those who stray as those evil people or those poor people who need our help. Nor must we search for signs of love worthiness. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is and not because of who we are. We're all in need of grace. Let's stand together. We're all in need of grace this morning. And he says his grace is sufficient for us. But you know what? We're all in, called as disciples to build his kingdom. And there's so many messages and so many things we've learned and observed and habits and behaviors and attitudes that we've been taught that are so far from grace. 
Ali and the band are going to lead us. I just encourage you, as I touched on what grace means, it means that he can't love you anymore, nor will he love you any less. Hear that. Particularly you perfectionists. You think it's about, you know, you've got to strive and only until. And the grace of God means that we praise. Because it's his favor towards us. Abundant, generous, foolish, reckless. To us, yes. Maybe as we worship, say, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. Fill me with your spirit and power that I should praise you. Recapture again a joy in the Lord. And his grace is sufficient for us as we, as we seek to live a holy life. We don't go on sinning so that grace may increase. No, we died to sin. How can we live in any longer? If you've got stuck in habits and mindsets, may the grace of God come again. Lift you from that place into his ways. Grace is missional because it opens our eyes to see transformers to be a people with the aroma of Christ. Maybe that's something for us to pray through if those first two things aren't there. Through all of our outreach events, through our neighbors, the grace of God to come. And I do offer the the opportunity, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, why would you not? He's so full of grace. The kingdom of God. Do you want to be part of a kingdom known for fish and chips and tea and stiff upper lip or be part of a kingdom that is about purpose and meaning and eternity, peace, fulfillment? Come and bow before the king.